The Zhangs would have liked to cancel the betrothal, but were afraid that the captain would object. So they told Lee's matchmaker that the girl was already engaged. But oh dear, young Mr. Lee wouldn't take no for an answer, and the Zhangs were quite at their wits' end, being now in trouble with both parties. You see, when the captain got to hear of these goings-ons, he was most unreasonable. He came rushing along in a great rage and made a most terrible scene. Just how many young men is this girl betrothed to, he said, and so on and so forth. He refused outright to take back the betrothal gifts, and straightway began an action for breach of promise. Did you want to talk about the names of the of the nuns? I was just gonna say, yeah, let's do a, a name review. Who do we got here? We got uh, okay. So the head, the older head nun, is Eurgesia. Yeah, you Eurgesia, you, you, Eurgesia. I'm not sure exactly. Eurgesia. And then we have two younger nuns, her disciples. Uh, Eurgesia in the Chinese is Jingshu. Uh, uh, yeah. So something like literally like still void a still emptiness yes yeah, still emptiness is quite a good way of putting it yeah still like peace still is in peaceful and then yeah whereas the the english translation eurgesia seems to be a biblical reference yeah denoting uh some kind of a good deed yeah that's what i found right? as well which isn't related to uh jingshu at all really um, no I, I, and i suppose it was I guess it's Hawks kind of taking some liberties with how he translates the names of of religious figures. Um, okay, we've observed this many times before. I, I do just want to say, you know, we're often critical of Hawks uh, in examining it's loving, though. in examining yeah, this, but but I do think you know, like it's worth noting. Both you and I would recognize that the translation itself is a phenomenal undertaking. And yeah, a, a lifelong project. It is in large part like a um, extremely fluidly translated work. Uh, so any criticism that yeah. we give is obviously with the proviso that the overwhelming majority of this work we're, I think, both highly appreciative of. I stand Hawks at critical moments when other people are their most critical. Like, for instance, in translating uh, Hong Lo Monk as dream of golden days i was also at first uh, skeptical of that but i i see what he's getting at mm. even if i wouldn't have made that decision i i think that's an interesting an insight into the text uh and, and so even if it is uh it adds to the experience and actually i think i'm looking here uh your Jesia, i think he chose that because it appears in the bible in connection with two other virtues and so the idea is he's basically making Jingshu, Jirshan, and Jirnang as kind of a, a triplet. 
a matching group of three. So the the two the other two we mentioned who are who are disciples, they're they're younger okay. nuns are Benevolencia and Sapientia. Benevolencia being Zhishan, uh and right. Sapientia being Zhinang. So that that Zhi is the Zhi of uh of wisdom, right? Right, wisdom. And so they both have the same first character, uh, these two disciples. And then Benevolencia's Zhishan, Shan being again something like a kind of goodness. Shan itself can mean benevolence. Maybe it's like wisely benevolence, mm. something like mm. that. Uh, whereas Jirnang is maybe wise capacity. Yeah, Nung. Nung is exactly that. It's, it's ability, capacity, that sort of thing. It's important to remember that uh, we've already met Jirnang. In Chapter 7, one will recall that uh, Jore's wife was traveling around the Rong compound to deliver the, the artificial flowers yep. to the, uh, the Jia family beauties. And I believe, and so Jernung was playing with one of the girls and the joke was made that uh, she didn't have a head of hair in which to place a flower. And so we actually, we saw, we, we met Jernung momentarily almost seven chapters ago. Yeah, the, it's with uh, Xi Chun is the, is the young woman from the wrong household. So it's one of the Chun sisters um, okay. that, that Sapientia Jernung is playing with. Um, so it's, it's kind of a callback. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so the, those are interesting names, aren't they? Because Benevolentia is, is is embodying benevolence, and Sapientia is exactly that. Is sapiens is kind of knowledge, understanding. So, so it does tie in with her name. So, those are more close to being direct translations. It's just it's a, it's the the name Jingxu, the as you said, like still or peaceful emptiness or nothingness. It's such a difficult concept to bring over to English in a way that isn't enormously clunky. So I can understand I can understand Hawkes's desire to tie it somehow to a more familiar faith tradition for at least some of the readers uh, of this in English. How about we talk about uh, this is a, a really lighthearted moment that I really enjoyed when I was reading it, where uh, Bao Yu starts teasing uh, Qin Zhong. So a moment ago, uh, Qin Zhong had been teasing Bao Yu, and now the favor is returned. And Bao Yu starts uh, teasing Qin Zhong about a, a possible connection between Qin Zhong and Sipientia. They even have a nickname for her, don't they? In in Hawks, they call her Sapi. Uh, and, and in the Chinese, this is Nung Er. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's using the last character of her name and adding Er, which can be a, a term for a child, but it just as easily as a kind of suffix denoting, uh, well, many things, like a term of endearment or a diminutive yes. form of something. Okay, so maybe I'll, I'll read from the text here. Qin Zhong and Bao Yu were amusing themselves in the main hall of the priory when Sapientia happened to pass through. Here is Sapi, said Bao Yu, with a meaningful smile. And, and, and Qin Zhong replies, well, what about it? And then and Bao Yu says, now, now, stop play-acting. I saw you holding her that day at Grandma's when you thought nobody else was about. You needn't think you can fool me after that. All right. And, and so he's like, I saw you. You know, I saw you. I know all about the two of you. Yeah. And, uh, and Qin Zhong denies it. You know, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they play this game where, where Bao Yu's like, why don't you get her to pour us a cup of tea? And then like, Qin Zhong's like, well, why don't you get her to pour us a cup of tea? 
and they go back and forth and uh and Bao Yu's like, Well, you know, if you did it, you know, there would just be more feeling to it. Something to that effect. And so finally, uh Qin Zhong makes the request. And of course, Zhu Nang immediately comes over, Sapiensha immediately comes over, and then they, they fight over it and Qin Zhong says, Give me the tea and Bao Yu's like, No, I want it and they, and they're they're fighting over this cup of tea. It's a really kind of a precious a precious moment. Yeah, you can you can picture them sort of like <clears throat> sitting almost side by side and and shoving one another back and forth. And she's completely uh, taken aback. Like, yeah. what's going on here? The text does make clear that that Qin Zhong and uh, Sapientia Chunang uh, have they have kind of romantic feelings for each other. Uh, you know, so it says about Sapientia, the Chinese text says that she Jian Zhu Feng Yue, so gradually has come to understand. Uh, Feng Yue, which is literally the wind and moon, but here means kind of romance or the ways of love. Right, we've talked about that a few times now. One of the titles of the book, and also the uh, the name of the mirror that Jare looks into, was the uh, the Feng Yue Baojian, the precious mirror of wind and the moon. Yeah, right? of romantic affairs. And so, actually, Hawks simply has that as she had reached adolescence. Mm. And so the original is a little bit more uh, poetic. But it does show you that this is, in some ways, I wouldn't say it's completely a coming-of-age story, but that's definitely a, a big element of this novel. At, le- at least the beginning. It's it's you know, maybe coming-of-age, but also uh, a, a kind of falling apart as well. I did think that it's not quite captured in the... It more or less is in the Hawks, but there is this sense very much of the r- real reciprocity of emotion between them. So there, it says the two of them, um, and reading from the Chinese here, Sui Wei Shang Shou, which is, although had not yet, and Shang Shou is literally to raise your hand, but here it means kind of they haven't taken their relationship to the next level, yet they already had uh, Qing Tou Yi He. So Qing is, as we've said many times, is kind of emotion, passion, uh, and Yi is sort of intention. So the Qing is considered to be Tou, which uh, again means kind of in alignment together. And Yi, their intention is also her, which is kind of unity, united, joined, aligned. So so even though they haven't actually, you know, consummated the relationship, their their feelings are very much... In sync. In sync, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So after that little incident, we leave them there for a moment and we go off to the world of grown-ups. And specifically Wang Xifeng and... Eurogesia, the the abbess of the priory. She has something she wants to talk to Shifeng about. Yeah. She she means to ask a favor. And um, well, I think it's probably easiest if I just read directly from the Hawks to explain. For sure. So yeah. so she says, when I was a nun at the Treasures in Heaven convent in Chang'an, one of the convent's benefactors was a very wealthy man called Zhang, who had a daughter called Jingge. A certain young Mr. Li, who was a brother-in-law to the governor of Chang'an, met her once when she was making an incense offering in our temple and took a violent liking to her. He at once sent someone to, to the parents to ask for her hand in marriage, but unfortunately she was already betrothed to the son of a captain in the Chang'an garrison, and the betrothal presence had already been accepted. The Zhangs would have liked to cancel the betrothal, but were afraid that the captain would object, so they told Li's matchmaker that the girl was already engaged. But oh dear, young Mr. Li wouldn't take no for an answer, and the Zhangs were quite at their wits' end, being now in trouble with both parties. You see, 
When the captain got to hear of these goings-ons, he was most unreasonable. He came rushing along in a great rage and made a most terrible scene. Just how many young men is this girl betrothed to, he said, and so on and so forth. He refused outright to take back the betrothal gifts, and straightway began an action for breach of promise. By now the giants were really upset, and sent to the capital for some moral support, for they are now quite determined to break off their daughter's engagement, seeing that the captain has been so unreasonable. So it's 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 the it's the stuff of it's the classic stuff of novels, isn't it? It's it's the complexity of, of human love affairs and uh betrothal and I guess that that complex mixture of romantic and political affairs being mm-hmm. hopelessly entangled. Yeah. And so she asks basically whether Xifeng or someone in her family could have a word with someone called General Yun, who is the superior of Captain uh, uh, of the captain uh, to whom this young woman is betrothed. Um, because if these, this general speaks to the captain, who is, you know, the captain is his inferior, and says to him, you know, look now, you have to break off this this engagement, then the captain will probably see sense, and the whole thing can be resolved a bit more easily. Um, without lawsuits and without violence or whatever might uh, happen. Yeah. And... And so she asks Shifeng whether originally she asks whether um, Lady Wang, uh, you know, who is Wang Shifeng's aunt and who's the mother of Jia Baoyu, and you know is one of the most important women in the household. The abbess asks whether Lady Wang would be able to help out, and Wang Shifeng says, you know, no, she's not really interested in that kind of thing anymore. Uh, I suppose I could do it, but I don't touch that sort of thing. You know, I'm not really interested. And so it looks like Eurogesia, the abbess, is designs will be kind of frustrated by this and she does that kind of classic move of saying Mm. oh right of course yeah fair enough Uh, i mean that's fine i I understand i suppose the problem is people will think that you're not helping because you (laughs) because you can't help you know people people are going to say well the only reason they didn't help is because they're not really as powerful and as influential as they as they claim to be, you know, a little thing like this and not doing it. Uh. <laughs> she has a really keen sense for all of uh, Shifeng's weaknesses, yeah. her vanity. Exactly, she her she plays on her vanity. for power and influence yeah. and control. And so she agrees to, to help out um, for 3,000 tales of silver. And we've talked a bit about the value of money before uh, in, in previous chapters. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, this is great, yeah. So, so I think it's just worth, you know, so that you know we can get some understanding of how much it, uh, an amount she is she is asking for when okay so what do we yeah what do we have so we have in in chapter 2 when jia yutsun um pays the dowry for his wife uh he pays 100 tails of silver but she okay. is just a servant girl so you wouldn't expect a very large dowry okay. in chapter 11 i think it is when um jia rei is um, forced to sign an IOU. Ba- basically, when he's been he's been caught, kind of perving on uh, Wang Xifeng, his his cousin's wife. Basically, right. He's found by two other men of the household, and they each extort fifty tails of silver from him, so a hundred in total. Okay. In chapter thirteen, Jia Zhen wants to buy his son Jia Rong um, 
a kind of ceremonial military position and he has to bribe one of the um, palace eunuchs to do so and he pays him a bribe of 1,000 tails of silver and in the same chapter when he's procuring a coffin for his daughter oh, his daughter-in-law now deceased um, Qin Shi he finds one that's very kind of um, luxuriant and um, he's told that he couldn't buy the planks for even a thousand tails of silver. So that's considered to be a very significant sum of money, and she's asking for three times that amount. Okay, yeah, this is a quite a quite a profit. Mm-hmm. For a relatively small thing, definitely, yeah. Well, I guess what was interesting to me is the way that she justifies this to herself. So she's asking for a, a, an enormous sum of money, and she's, she's kind of doing it on the understanding that um, she can basically name her price and they'll pay it. You know, she can she can more or less extort them, and uh, that you know that's like a rather unattractive and unethical thing to do, isn't it? Um, but she explains it away by saying, "Well, this is for my children," which is the kind of thing that we see nowadays, even as well. You know, why my why did I take this horribly unethical job mm. where I'm destroying the environment or I'm infringing upon people's human rights or I'm uh, denying people health insurance, health care, whatever, whatever people do nowadays to make like a lot of money. You yeah. Know, you, can imagine, what, what? you can imagine the same kind of, well, I'm doing it for my children. Yeah. yeah she says it's for her, for her boys in the, in the Hawks. It seems to be that she's giving it to, she's giving it to her servants, I guess. It's to give to her Xiao Siman, so her servants, Zuo Pan Chan, I think it is, which is essentially to um, travel expenses. Yeah, something like that, travel expenses. Huh. But either way, it's a sort of like slightly mealy mouthed justification for, yeah. for taking the money. Um, mm-hmm. And she says, of course, I don't need the money. You know, if I needed to, I could get 30,000 tails of silver, you know, just like that. But, you know, you feel like this is just kind of justifying it to herself. And I guess what's so amazing about this chapter is, I guess the the kids are having fun. She's making, she's turning a profit. But there's almost no, like, consideration. Nobody even mentions Chinkaching in this chapter. Mm. And so I wonder if there's a bit of a a commentary, a, a critique, a criticism there, where, like, the, just the, the emotional, like, everyone's emotional state is incongruous with the actual yeah. ostensible purpose of this trip, of this journey. It's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right there. <laughs> Maybe it's because they've spent the last 49 days in this rather elaborate um, morning okay. ritual. That's a good point. That they're well. now, right. they're, they're, they're all griefed out, you know. So and a, li- a little bit later on, we come back to Qianzhong, and he decides to what might we say m- make his move on on Sapientia on Junong. Yes, yes, he does. Uh, uh, and so, what happens? She's she's kind of washing the she's washing the dishes, really, isn't she? And he kind of sneaks up behind her and he throws his arms around her and he says, "You know, I I'm desperate for you and and." You know, if you won't take me, I I will die right here. Mm-hmm. He's really uh, aggressive. He could definitely stand to learn a little bit about uh, proper ritual propriety. Yeah, to use a more modern phrase, um, consent. Maybe I was mm. a, a, a 
at best ambivalent about this scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's. I'm glad you you broached this up. Yeah. I mean, look. I, in one sense, you could depict it as he's just your average kind of sexually overcharged teenage boy, and she goes along with it because she, like her her objections to his desires are more based on this is not really the right time this is not really the right place we shouldn't be doing it here or 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 that kind of thing not because she doesn't want to but it's very borderline like it made i don't know it it's presented as light-hearted but it made me a bit uncomfortable okay i mean some of it genuinely is you know there's a part in the scene where so he comes up behind her, he throws his arms around her, and he's saying, you know, I, I, I adore you, and if you won't have me, I, I'll die right here, um, you know. And she says, yeah, okay, but, you know, you got to get me out of here first. And she, she yeah. uses a particular term, which um, isn't carried across really into the... I don't really think it's carried into the Hawks. In his translation, she says, you must first get me out of this hole. And that's about right, but... The exact word is um, the exact word is uh, lao kung, which has more of a sense of being like a pit or a cage, prison, something like that. You know, it's it's not simply a hole. It's 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 uh, there's a sense of being uh, uh, trapped or incarcerated, like a like a kennel or yeah, something yeah. like that, an enclosure, something, like that. something along those lines. Yeah, I, I think it's worth observing. I I, I I looked into it, and in most Buddhist traditions, yeah, it's absolutely forbidden for both monks and nuns to have sex. So this isn't, uh, as far as I know, some kind of more liberal school of Buddhism where where it's all right for um, people living a monastic life to have um, a sexual relationship with, with someone. So, you know, what she's doing in pursuing a romantic relationship with Qin Zhong is, is definitely... Um, uh, against the rules so it's yeah her hesitation seems to be at least partly uh, a matter of not wanting to get in trouble yeah she says if you can get me out of here uh, then then we can you know then it'll yeah. be fine um and his response is quite funny in the sense that it's like it's it's so desperate uh, i don't know like, it's <laughs> the distil exactly it's like the distillation of the desperation of teenage boys for somebody anybody to have sex with them he says that's easy, said Xinjiang, but distant water is no cure for a present thirst. And and that's that's almost a direct translation of the Chinese. It's 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 quite a good one. And and so he I guess prevails upon her to have sex with him there on the on the, the kang, the, the, the bed, basically. After blowing yeah. out the light, plunging the room into inky yeah. darkness. So it says she doesn't want to cry out. And it uses the phrase Baibanda Jungjabochilai. So I guess was unable through various means to successfully struggle. Um and that was I think the bit that really made me like kind of wince internally when reading that. I guess the thing is that it's a situation in which she doesn't seem to be capable of giving what we might call enthusiastic consent. And so you can't really tell if her consent is that she wants to do it but is worried about those kind of uh yeah the sense of propriety or whether she just genuinely doesn't want to and is kind of forced into it by that dilemma of if she cries out it will stop but some 
you know, if the if the other nuns find out, she'll be in in big trouble. Exactly. The, uh, deeply mixed yeah. feelings, mostly negative about uh, about Qin Zhong in this scene. But anyway, it is interrupted, uh, nonetheless, by a mysterious dark figure. And they're, they're they're completely shocked. All of a sudden, someone basically jumps on top of them. Yeah, and 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 their souls leave their bodies. Right. This the set expression is used. Hun fei po san. Uh, and the idea yeah. is like, yeah, your your hun flies away, and your po scatters, right? And, and so the, the yeah. idea of there being this like two parted soul, the hun po, the hun yeah. being one part and the po being the other part. Um, and so then this this shadowy figure begins laughing, um, and they they realize it's Bao Yu, and Qin Zhong, you know, starts starts shouting at him. And um, in the confusion, uh, Sapientia you know, slips away. Um, yeah, slips away. Yeah. <laughs> and you can tell that he just thinks this is mm. really funny. Anyway, he's he's kind of saying, "Oh, I thought you didn't like her," kind of thing. You know, he he's sort of teasing him. Uh, anyway, um, uh, the, the what what happens? Basically, Bayou says, "You know, I'll 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 shout." You know, I'll. I'll I'll create a fuss so people will come and find out what you've been doing. And Qin Zhong says, oh, no, 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 there's no need for that. Don't worry. I'll, 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 you know, I'll play along. Just, you know, don't, don't make a fuss. And Bao Yu says, okay, but I will settle accounts with you later. Right. Um, and even the author later is unwilling to spell out explicitly what that meant. Yeah. But he, but the author like uh, alludes to that unwillingness. I feel like the settling, yeah, settling accounts here is a fairly obvious, um, like it fairly obviously implies that Bao Yu and Qian Zhong have sex later. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 I guess this is kind of a continuation of uh, the the schoolyard chapter. Exactly. Where That's what I was thinking as there well, are, yeah. Yeah, where there are all of these obviously completely unfounded rumors that they are, yeah, either currently in a gay relationship or certainly both kind of tending in that direction. And there are the two other boys I, as well. Uh, I, I thought it was an interesting one, uh, interesting phrase though. This settling accounts is Suan uh, Zhang in in Chinese, mm-hmm. so literally, yeah, to 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 settle up accounts um, because it recalls an earlier phrase used in the novel. Which is something about love debts right. in chapter five. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when Bayou goes to uh, the land of illusion, this dream world, in you know, in chapter five, he encounters the fairy disenchantment, and she says one of the things that she's responsible for doing is is managing the love debts of human beings, and um, the term that she uses is feng qing yue jai. Mm-hmm. So jai being a term for um, debt, mm-hmm. feng and yue together being the romance word we used before, and qing again being kind of love, passion, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And and so suan zhang as a uh, as a term for settling accounts here is a kind of double use. It's both a euphemism for sex, but a particular kind of it. You know, so so I don't know if you thought this, but I understood the settling of accounts here to be intended as a kind of something like a payback from Bao Yu to Qian Zhong. Uh, 
either because he is jealous of Qin Zhong's relationship with with Sapientia, mm-hmm. with Junang, or it's a payback in the sense of you said you didn't like her. I proved that you did like her. Therefore, this is my reward. Something, something kind of ludicrous along those lines, I suppose. So it has it has both that meaning. It's both the euphemistic way of referring to sex. It has the meaning that I just talked about, and then it, yeah, it has this parallel to the the idea of love debts and loving someone, putting you in debt to to that person or to someone else um, as a as a result. You know, so. Mm. Yeah, there's something that I'd not really thought about, but before, but the idea that act of love, or or acts of 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 qing really, which can be love, but sort of passion and lust as well, such acts can incur debts, and those debts must be settled at, at the you know mm. at the appropriate time. And you know, yeah, the way that these attachments work, it, it is as complex as some kind of like you know uh, financial instrument where you if you fall in love with somebody you're kind of investing your emotions and your there's this directionality to the uh to the act right where you uh you form the attachment and then you sort of enact your uh consummation of the attachment through the the physical sexual act but then the uh, maybe the attachment grows, you know, it, it compounds in a sense, and and the the sexual act is recommenced later, but still the uh, you know the attachment, which could be conceived of as a debt, grows and grows and grows until you have this almost, you know, ultimately you want to reach a kind of like mutually reinforced infinity, where both sides have both taken out accounts in each other's, you know bank or whatever this is kind of a you can see how this is also sort of problematic obviously uh where you have it's just a it's an it's an interesting and kind of unusual way of this bleeding overlapping of categories and uh experiential forms and so on and so forth i'm not sure exactly i would even wonder whether the the buddhist influence gives uh one's psychology one's ideology a more kind of uh monetaristic flavor or a deeper a deeper dimension to the monetary metaphor because i wonder sometimes whether you know if you want to make a distinction between you know buddhism in some general sense and christianity or uh, in some general sense uh you could maybe say that these uh correspond with different historical modes right like uh, like 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 buddhism in my understanding at least to a certain extent, arises out of um, mercantile classes. You know, people already immersed in the the exchange of goods, right? And, and so it would make sense that if you have that kind of base, your ideological religious superstructure would reflect that. Uh, whereas maybe the Christian ideology is more based on agricultural metaphors, uh like un- that's, un- that's very speculative un- unpack that me <laughs> yeah because um, I, I do think yeah because in, in the christian system it's all about you know getting the money the money changers out of the temple you know whereas in you know in, in traditional chinese society the temple was the money changer you know, the temple had the gold. The, the temple was giving out loans. Uh, the people in a local village 
quite possibly were indebted to, if not the religious institution itself or people connected with that institution. At the same time that having a lot of wealth and displaying that wealth was a sign of positive karma, right? I, I suppose. But then you have, I mean, I guess you have this this thing of the, the Christian church being, yes, ostensibly about renouncing material wealth, but in practice being about embracing and accumulating um right right so it's yeah so maybe i'm overstating the the difference uh and, and even in you can find austere components to both ideologies uh and so I, i'd want to i'd want to think about it a little bit more yeah there's a strong component of rejecting the material world in 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 all of its senses in in that buddhist tradition certainly um so i don't know i i'm, I'm the thing is i likewise i'm completely i'm uncertain about the whole the whole kind of philosophy that he's suggesting here so at this point they have stayed the night in the priory and they're thinking about packing up and going home and um Xifeng is not kind of terribly bothered one way or the other but both Bao Yu and Xin Zhong very much want to stay on another day and so Bao Yu prevails upon her to to let them stay one more day and so they yeah they they stay one day longer and then they do eventually take their leave and we hear that one of the things that Shifang does on her on her additional day in the temple is to to get one of her servants to forge a letter or rather to write a letter and forge it in the name of uh Wang Shifang's husband yeah. Jia Lian and have that conveyed to General Yun the 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 general we mentioned the superior of this captain embroiled in this tangled love affair yes. and i guess just to go back to the point we were just discussing there the there is a hugely transactional aspect to the love affair right because it's it's about marriage which is a romantic affair but the reason why the engagement can't be undone is because the betrothal gifts have been accepted so there has been a there has been consideration given you know there's been uh something of value has been or already been transferred and therefore that basically like a security deposit, in effect, on yes, the, the bride yeah, it, in 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 rather brutal terms. That that's that's fairly accurate. And then eventually, yeah, the next day they do they do take their leave. And and I guess one thing that does sort of mitigate um, the the earlier scene between Xianzhong and Sapientia is that they are described as having this very emotionally painful parting. They're very sad to see. They're very sad to part. Although the author seems kind of ironic about it. Did you get that impression? That he was, uh, you know, that he wanted to... Explain, exp- maybe explain was, that to maybe me. Maybe I was mis- mis- uh, misreading that. Let me see here. I, I hadn't, no, I hadn't considered the point. Um, it says, this parting was an unbearably painful one for Sapientia and Chinjong, and all sorts of secret vows were exchanged and whispered contracts made before they could tear themselves apart. We admit all details of that harrowing scene. <laughs> I, I can kind of see that, yeah. And I suppose there's a tongue-in-cheekness about it because two, you know, teenagers engaged in their first ever romantic affair, the feelings that you feel seem tremendously, you know, important, really of kind of earth-shattering, world-defining importance. Mm-hmm. And they never <laughs> are. And so I suppose, that you know, that like that, taking that rather the kind of wryly amused attitude of a, an older person who knows better 
is um, now that you mention it, yeah, it does seem to convey a bit of that feeling. And that's more or less the end of the chapter. So next next time we will look at chapter 16, which uh, continues some of the story we've seen in this chapter, but it also includes uh, a sudden and unexpected turn of events for the Jia family. Yes, a major plot twist. So we're not, we're not going to give it away, but uh, yeah, prepare yourself. Brace Just your, going to l- lay the groundwork. Okay, so everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been another exciting installation of Rereading the Stone. Uh, as always, we love getting comments, feedback, criticism, critique, uh, retweets, um, and, and so on and so forth. So you can check us out online. We're on Twitter at Rereading Stone. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Rereading the Stone. Also Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash Rereading the Stone. So have a great one, and uh, we'll uh, catch back with you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.